I'm Euro. I'm Chris. And this is Fork Bomb. Wednesday, February 7th, 2018, episode 19, Alternative DOS Versions. Euro. Euro. Yeah? Yeah. We're back. We're back. We're back. (laughs) Oh, man, I can't believe it. Uh, So much has happened between the last episode and this episode that, uh, well, I'm just glad we got this. We're getting this episode made and we will get this episode out. And hopefully nobody's forgotten about us. Hopefully. Um, Wouldn't blame them if we did. But if you haven't, thanks for remembering. Um, You got a you moved into a new house, right? I did. I moved into a new house. And um, and I don't remember if I had said that I had a new position in my job. I think I did. Uh, but uh, yeah, new house um, and uh, new snowflake device that I'm not using, but that's new. And I'm on a I'm on a tablet right now, recording in Linux on a Microsoft Surface. Unheard Yay. of. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised this thing is working. Good stuff. So how about you, Chris? I know you had a lot of changes too. I left the state. I moved to New York, left Florida, uh, got new digs, new job, new life. So everything settled down. Uh, Eric is Eric is undergoing his own fair share of stuff. I'm sure he he can talk about that when he comes back. Don't know when that will be, but... He will be pestered every episode we do relentlessly until he does. But until then, Eric, we miss you, and uh, we hope you can come back soon. Yep, miss you, buddy. So we've had uh, we've had some time to ponder and think about what what to talk about next, and um, and we had a giant list. And from all these different things, we thought we'd talk about uh, the different DOS versions that there were back back then when DOS was a prevalent operating system. Uh, this seemed like a pretty neat topic, and uh, actually, most of the time, I just used MS DOS. So I am um, I I didn't really know a whole lot about the other DOS versions, and I definitely didn't have any exposure whatsoever back then on any other DOS version except MS DOS. So um, this is this is where I wish that we had Eric, because I know he'd be he would say something like, oh, yeah, well, I've used the, you know, the Star Trek DOS before. Didn't, didn't you know about the Star Trek DOS? <laughs> it actually <laughs> was a Star Trek DOS. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I said it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so we'll have to get his uh, his feedback uh, on the next episode. But, uh, but yeah, how about you, Chris? Well, I, I too, only used MS-DOS. And there are a surprising number of alternative DOS versions, um, whether they be uh, old from back then or ones that are still currently maintained. But we focused on the three of the biggest ones, uh, just to help keep the the length of this episode down. And those versions are IBM PC DOS. Digital Research DOS, or DR DOS, or as some people like to say, Dr. DOS, and Free DOS. So we're going to explain those in some depth and talk about our experiences playing with them and what we learned. Now we know there were a bunch of different versions of DOS uh, involved, 
I just uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, I know that we're probably going to get trolled and whatnot, that there were other versions that were superior or not superior to these. We know, uh, but these were the ones that we picked. So uh, enjoy. <laughs> so how about for each one we uh, briefly, well, it could be brief or long as we want. This is our podcast, so, you know, whatever. How about we uh, talk about the uh, history and then the experience playing with it? Great. Um, so I just want to mention that uh, the DOS version that I was experimenting with is actually still in development, and it's not that that old compared to the other two. Um, but I had never used it before, and I figured it would be a great, uh, a great operating system to add to this list. So I uh, just wanted to point that out that mine is still currently in development and there is a lot of great projects that are revolving around uh, the free DOS and the DOS core movement. So, um, yeah, just wanted to point that out. Do you want to start with free DOS? Sure. Let's start with the newest one then. So I, I was using free DOS uh, while Chris was over there exploring the, the archives of DOS versions and uh, different DOSes that were out back then, but uh, but I figured I would use FreeDOS and uh, tell you guys a little bit about it. So a little bit about FreeDOS, and it's a very, very brief history, or at least what I found was very brief. Um, so it's an open source alternative to MS-DOS. It was started in 1994 by Jim Hall, Pat Vilani. Please excuse me, Pat, if you are listening to this and I miss said your last name. And uh, Tim Norman, which came up with what consists of the the kernel, the command line interpreter, and the core utilities. So those three guys pretty much started the entire free DOS, um, the movement, the operating system, and whatnot. Uh, and there was a lot of different releases before the actual release came out, which was in 2006 when 1.0 came out. When uh, the latest version is actually actually as of today is. 1.2. So they have a lot of interim releases and whatnot, release candidates and, and, and different versions like that. So that's why, that's why, you know, we don't have a 2.0 and a 3.0 and 4.0 and things like that. Um, the minimum requirements, of course, for DOS are pretty basic, pretty standard. I mean, you need a PC or an XT with uh, 640 kilobytes of memory. So we're pretty good there. <laughs> At least my tablet can run it. Uh, the OS has uh, several improvements due to newer technology that didn't exist at the time of MS-DOS. So some notable features were are advanced power management, large hard drive support, uh, HX DOS extender, which allows you to run Windows 32 console applications like... Uh, how do you say this, Chris? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm totally going to botch this, but I usually call it Kemu. Q-E-M-U. But some people call it QEMU. Okay, I, I just I didn't know if this was some kind of leap thing, you know, where you had to say it right. But uh, but anyway, so uh, between that and and Bosch, so uh, unfortunately, only Windows versions one and two can run properly in FreeDOS. Uh, the later versions cannot run uh, due to you know, 386 enhanced mode. Although there are some experimental kernels that can partially run it, it's not officially put onto the uh, operating system. So, but uh, FreeDOS can be installed side by side with Windows 95, 98, ME by using a boot manager. 
but Windows cannot be in installed on top of those. So you know how you would, uh, or at least uh, that's the way I did it. I installed MS-DOS first on my DOS rig, and then I installed Windows 98 on top of it. So I was able to pretty much get everything, um, all the features from DOS. And uh, I know that Windows 98 had DOS, I believe it was version 7.0. But uh, but I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of stuff installed in my own and my my own configs for DOS six point two two, so I was able to just install Windows ninety eight on top of that and my uh, you know all my settings and everything all my programs are still there from uh, DOS sixty two. So you can't really do that with free DOS; they're not compatible. So you have to install them side by side. For Windows two thousand XP, free DOS kernel can be booted by adding it to the Windows two thousand XP. Uh, bootloader configuration file, the boot any file or the free LDR.any um, for the equivalent for uh, what is it, React OS. Uh, there is currently no planned support for NTFS, EXD2, or EXFAT, but there are several ex uh, external third party drivers available for that purpose in case you actually wanted to look at the drives that supported those um, file systems. May I point something out before we move to the next section? Yeah. The latest version, 1.2, was released December 25th, 2016. So that was a lovely Christmas present uh, a year and a half or so ago. So, so awesome. That's Those how, guys planned it right. Yep, and that's that's how active this version of DOS still is. You know, and, and this I'll, I'll get to this uh, the, at the end of my section, uh, but there's some neat things going on with FreeDOS. Um, so, you know, one of the really cool things about FreeDOS, Chris, is that the installer was so easy to use. It, it was it was like installing any other software that I had installed before. Uh, and I'm talking about like recent software. It was that easy. The installer is pretty much made, you know, Fisher Price. <laughs> it's it's so easy to use. It 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 actually prompts you, are you sure you want to do this? And things like that. Um I even took screenshots because I, you know, I thought it was so simple. It didn't really have that many options. So, and and it actually had a lot of information as far as uh, just what it's going to do and things like that. So, I mean, it provides plenty of warnings before proceeding to wipe your disk. It reminds you that you have, if you have a previous uh, OS installed like Windows that it may override. It offers full installation or choose your own packages. So you can do a custom install in case you want to install everything. Um, I installed everything. It, I, I don't believe it took that much space at all. And whatever space it took, it was in megabytes. So it definitely wasn't uh, anything that I was uh, um, upset about or that it was taking too much space. I mean, it's DOS. Come on. Um, you know, uh, another thing that I liked about it is that when you start it up, immediately FreeDOS gives you some options. And these are options that I actually wish that would have come native from MS-DOS, I mean, as out of the package stuff. And, um, and you know, who's been really, really helpful with this is, uh, I, I go on, um, there's a channel on YouTube called Phil's computer lab. And he talks about, well, all kinds of, um, computing items and computing things, uh, but including, um, setting up old DOS rigs and benchmarking them and etc. So he has a whole tutorial about how to set up menus. So that way, you can pick between what kind of memory management program you want. If you if you don't want any, um, what is it, EMS, you know, and things like that. Um, it's it's really neat. And the thing about FreeDOS is, is that it already comes with these options as soon as you install it. So out of the box, it already asks you if you want to use 
you know, extended memory or not, etc. So, um, which actually that brings me to one gripe about FreeDOS that I had, which is that uh, the first option, JEMMX, or I'm sorry, it's uh, JEMMEX. It didn't actually allow me to start when I launched it with my virtual machine. I was using uh, VirtualBox, and it didn't allow me to start it. So I actually had to go online and figure out how come it didn't start. And uh, so the thing about it is I had to actually boot it with the second option, which is using EMS. Now, this is a big issue for me because there's a lot of programs out there that uh, require you to not use expanded memory. So you had to you have to use the first option. And uh, so good thing that it was a quick fix. Um, actually, <clears throat> uh, so, I mean, I have games that they won't even run if, if you have EMS on. So luckily, um, Retro Code Radio on YouTube found the answer, which is editing the fdconfig.sys file and replacing uh, test under the jemmex.exe uh, no EMS line to the memory having the issue. So I just, uh, I, I took it the, I took the memory, when you launch it with the first option, it'll actually say on there, the uh, it'll have the memory registrar with the issue. So if you put that on the fdconfig.sys line, the exact memory line, uh, it will go ahead and uh, boot. So I just did that. I saved the file. I restarted the machine, and then boom! All of a sudden, I could use option number one, which is really great. So you know, thanks a lot, Retro Code Radio, for for that. Um, other things that I really liked about FreeDOS is the information that it provided when starting up. You know, drivers loaded, how much memory is consumed. I mean, this this stuff is awesome. Uh, I just I just loaded up, and all of a sudden, it it came up with all the TSRs loaded, all the drivers loaded, and everything, and it every yeah, uh, and how much memory each one is consuming. I mean, that's really great stats. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really, really glad that they had thought of this. Another really neat thing was the help system. It actually says type help to get help. So I did. I don't know what I'm doing, right? So I just type help. And all of a sudden, this really neat help uh, menu came up where you can search. Um, the first the first page has the table of contents, and you can just navigate it with your keyboard. And uh, if you have any... Uh, if you have, uh, if you want to look for any command or anything like that, or how to use it, you know, the correct syntax and everything, it's all right there. Uh, really neat and uh, pretty colorful. Um, <clears throat> so you just type in help. And uh, another thing that you could do is very similar to Linux, except Linux, I believe, uses man, right? Manual? Uh, mm-hmm. I guess so. Yeah, so Linux uses man. This in here, you just type help and the command. And then the help menu will come up and it, and search for that command automatically for you. That is so cool. So I just type, yeah, I just type help print, and then the the entire help menu program comes up and it goes to that section. I never knew that. Pretty neat. I just sent you a uh, link to the FreeDOS software page, and it gives you a list of what it includes in the installer. So you you mentioned you selected the full install option. And I figured you might like to see what is included with that. You know what? I actually had seen this before. Uh, I was looking through a few of them because I wanted to see what kind of uh, DVD drive, I'm sorry, you know, CD-ROM drivers that it included. So I was looking through the base packages and things like that to to figure out what, what it had included. Um, Phil's from Phil's Computer Lab has some issues with some games uh, and uh, in respect to the sound. 
So he had some issues with that. So he had mentioned that the that the driver that FreeDOS comes with isn't the most updated driver for this uh, CD-ROM. Uh, it's not the most updated CD-ROM driver, I'm sorry. So uh, you have to update it to the latest version, and then that seems to clear up a lot of the issues with the uh, with the music and everything from games. But yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, that's really great to have all the list of uh, utilities and games and things like that that it comes with. Well, just to give a brief rundown, I mean, in that full installation, you have Super NES emulators, you have uh, Commodore emulators, Game Boy emulators, you have the lame MP3 encoder, you have uh, various text editors, um, some that exist on Linux like uh, Emacs, and I think even Vim, Vim is on there. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff built already built into FreeDOS. It's quite a lot to explore and very impressive for any form of DOS to have all these nifty tools. Hell, it even comes with the OpenGem desktop. You know, I, I was actually trying to find, though, uh, and, and maybe I'm just not looking in the right place. And actually, you know what? I think I didn't. I was trying to look for QBasic. And what I found was actually Bitewater Basic Interpreter. So, yeah, I thought that was neat. There's also a C++, a C++ to C Common Converter. Huh. And then there's also a C Compiler, Bruce's C Compiler. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, another thing uh, that I really liked about it is that auto-completion works. So, I actually got auto-completion work by, by including the files from 4DOS. So 4DOS is uh, kind of like a, an extension to DOS that uh, provides uh, things like uh, auto-completion and history and things like that to your commands. I don't know if it includes a long file name, if 4DOS includes that, but, um, but anyway, uh, I do know that 4DOS is included with FreeDOS because I did see it under the bin directory. So And yeah, auto-completion works, uh, history, things like that. So I thought that was neat. These are things that I wish MS-DOS had come with, but, you know, at the time, uh, it, it didn't. So, um, another thing that I tried was uh, editing. So, I edited the auto-exec bat file and the config... Uh, wait, they have another kind of config file, that that, that other one that I had just mentioned uh, previously, the fdconfig.sys file. So, anyway, I edited those using the editor. Editor is really easy to use. It's pretty much like MS-DOS editor. Uh, except that it does have some interesting options under utilities. You get the uh, you get calendar and ASCII table for special characters. So I just thought that was uh, kind of neat. I did I don't remember seeing that in MS DOS config. Uh, although correct me if I'm wrong, somebody out there. Um, so the editor has a version of the common Windows model. So you click on the toolbar of the window and you can restore, close things like that. So you know when you have the X in the top. On one of the windows, you can uh, you can click close and minimize and maximize. So that that was another neat thing that that I thought uh, was interesting. So <clears throat> um, another neat thing about FreeDOS is it supports uh, zipping zip files. It comes from the uh, OS itself. Didn't have to install anything else. Uh, it has the integrated gzip executable. And uh, as far as I know, it didn't come. It didn't come included with MS DOS. It most certainly so did not. Was, yeah. So 
that was neat. And I actually ran into another interesting program. It's a multi, looks like a multi-user program called password.exe. So uh, I actually went in there and you can set your own password for your login. I wasn't quite sure how to make it work and I didn't really have enough time to play around with it. But uh, but it's it's a program that I want to use more because I, I wonder if multi, I wonder if FreeDOS is multi-user. Hmm. Not really. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, why would password.exe exist just to create passwords? Like, I guess I, I'm I'm not hmm. sure how it works. Yeah, maybe it's just a multi-user for that program. But so I know that it's... way you can save your password files as a user. So if somebody else used the computer, they could also generate their own passwords and under that one username. Hmm. But I know it's uh-huh. not a I know it's not a multi-user operating system because. That would also require fundamental changes to the file system because... Ah, right, the, permissions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep, good point. Good point. Um, <clears throat> so there is a easy... It's uh, Oh, another thing that I'd like to point out is that it's easy to add new comments to help by using bookshelf add. So all you have to do is uh, you type in bookshelf. It's just a command. Uh, it's actually an executable. And so... Um, and then you just... Uh, you just type add and then you can add your own it's it's like adding stuff to wikipedia you know but it's for the, your help file in freedos thought that was neat too there are uh so there's some uh, share utilities which allows you to uh, file share and uh, locking capabilities i did not test this though but i did see it listed and i saw it on the documentation as well so these are things that definitely did not come with msdos um and you know what i wanted to mention that a re- another really neat an interesting project that I found uh, surrounding FreeDOS is this uh, thing called Aura, which in its current release, release is in uh, Milestone 4 or M4. It's part of the DOS Core pro, uh, project to have an OS run under DOS. So under you know, FreeDOS is what they use as their base. And Aura is actually a GUI that sits on top. Very similar to how Windows 95 and 98 were more of operating system um, environments than they were operating systems. That's the way that Aura works. It, and, uh, and Aura also extends for, uh, FreeDOS and it gives it TCP IP capabilities and you can install different apps and everything, different applications and surf the web and everything. It even has a dock. It's very similar. It actually looks a lot like OS X with the dock in the bottom and everything. But yeah, it runs on FreeDOS, and uh, I thought that was really neat. Uh, or you know what? It it could also look like one of the Linux UI shells, like a GNOME, but with the uh, with the dock or docky or the DockX, whatever uh, whatever it's called for the dock. Um, well, other than that, uh, installing games and drivers is pretty much the same as it would be with MS DOS, except of course for that. Um, that uh, that thing that I had mentioned about CD digital audio not working. So Phil from Phil's Computer Lab, he pointed out that it's due to an older CD driver, which can be fixed by updating to a more recent driver by the same developer. And so, uh, and another driver that doesn't work is the Soft MPU, also mentioned from by Phil from Phil's Computer Lab. And I'll post a link on the uh, on the show notes as well. There were some games, rare, but there were some games that refused to work, like uh, Private Ear, Need for Speed, and Fade to Black. But, you know, most games, they worked fine. That's pretty much all I have for FreeDOS. Do you have anything else to add to, to that? That was an impressively well-done overview. 
Um, I don't... Oh, I, I do have one thing to add. Um, a, a lot of the free DOS utilities you can use on other versions of DOS, like MS-DOS or the other versions of DOS we're, we're going to be talking about. Um, so when you go through that uh, list of software that is on the free DOS uh, page, you can apply it to other DOS versions. So it's not just limited to free DOS, because for the most part, DOS is DOS. DOS is DOS. And DOS is good. <laughs> DOS is good. <laughs> yeah. DOS is good. <laughs> All right. Well, um, how about you, Chris? Uh, I know you were exploring Dr. DOS and PC DOS. I'll start with uh, PC DOS, since that one's pretty short. So there isn't much to PCDOS. PCDOS was sold by IBM from the early 80s all the way into the 2000s. Before version 6.1, it was an an IBM-branded version of MS-DOS, but afterwards it became its own independent product. So post-6.1 is mainly where we're going to focus. So why did PCDOS even exist? Well, initially, IBM wanted... Microsoft to retain ownership of whatever software it developed, and it wanted nothing to do with helping Microsoft other than making suggestions or having input from afar. So they had an ownership. The previous ownership arrangement they had changed in PCDOS 3.3 when the upgrade from DOS 3.2 to 3.3 was completely written by IBM with no effort on the part of Microsoft. PCDOS 4.0 was the first version to include DOS Shell, which um, I, th- I think any DOS user has used DOS Shell at some point in time. And it's a full screen utility designed to make a command line OS more user friendly. It has, uh, you know, panes for copying and pasting files and is generally easier than typing uh, DIR and copy and those, those various commands. 4.0 was also notable because Microsoft took back control of 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 development for PC-DOS. Um, well, MS-DOS, they just rebranded it to be PC-DOS for IBM PCs um, when they released a bug-fixed DOS 4.01. When PC-DOS 5.0 came out, it was the last version of DOS that IBM and Microsoft shared the full code for. And PCDOS 6.1, as previously stated, was the last IBM rebranded version of MS-DOS. After that, IBM and Microsoft parted ways in 1993. So this is where things get a bit more interesting, where PCDOS becomes its own thing. So in 6.1, QBasic was dropped, and the MS-DOS editor was replaced with IBM eEditor. PCDOS version 6.3 was also used in... OS 2 for the PowerPC and featured the Superstore disk compression technology from AdStore. PCDOS 7 was the last release before IBM's Boca Raton facility closed, which I guess that's where PCDOS was developed. Um, That had all kinds of neat stuff. It has support for the Rex Rex programming language. um, They had their own uh, floppy file system, or that they used a a different floppy file system. called the XDF floppy disk format, which extended the 1.44 megabyte uh, disk to support 1.86 megabytes. Ooh, yeah, watch out. Yeah, a lot of storage there. <laughs> they uh, 
change the provider for their disk compression technology. Uh, they included an algebraic command line calculator. They included a utility program to load device drivers from the command line, which I guess would be pretty handy. And they also included many optimizations to increase performance and reduce memory usage. Then there was PCDOS 2000. It was released in 1998 um, at a niche market in embedded, um, had a niche in the embedded software market. Uh, was really just a slipstream of 7.0 with uh, year 2000 and other fixes applied. Uh, another obscure place it was used was Hitachi used it in their uh, legacy drive fitness test utility and Hitachi feature tool until 2009. And ThinkPad products had a copy of it, uh, had a copy of the latest PC DOS in their rescue and recovery partition. Then there was 7.1, which included uh, logical block addressing, LBA, and FAT32 partition support. Um, there were various builds from 1999 up to 2003 that were not released in retail at all, but were used in various IBM products, such as IBM, such as the IBM Server Guide scripting toolkit. Um, a build appeared in Norton Ghost from Symantec, and most builds were in, of 7.1 were not actual uh, releases. They were just limited to kernel files like ibmio.com, ibmdos.com, and command.com. Versions since 1986 had support for client access to file services on IBM System 36, IBM System 38, and IBM mainframe computers uh, running Control Information Control System or CICS. So if you needed a version of DOS to talk to your agent IBM mainframes, PC DOS is it. I think I have used PC DOS before then because I certainly ran Norton Ghost, uh, and uh, and it and it would take you to some. I mean, it did run when you ran it off the the live CD. I guess that is PC DOS running in the background. Yeah, the older versions were. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a bit more in depth than I expected, but uh, so may I talk about the installer? Yeah, by all means. As you mentioned with uh, FreeDOS previously. It had um, it had various options and a whole bunch of pre-installed stuff. Well, PC DOS is much much smaller. Um, it's mostly like the regular MS DOS installer. The screens look very similar, but it has some optional settings that um, that you can choose from, and those are mainly just the extra programs that it includes with it. You can't really configure the programs, you can just toggle them to yes and no. So the version that I tried, uh, that I tested, was PCDOS version 6.3, and the reason I chose that one was because I was doing this in VirtualBox, so unfortunately, I, since I don't have my retro rig going yet, because I still have to bring it from Florida, I wasn't able to use the... Um, what was that floppy format? I was not able to use the XDF floppy image format. VirtualBox does not like it. Oh. So 6.3 is different enough from MS-DOS to make it interesting, but... Um, so you weren't able to run uh, PC-DOS 2000, 7.1, things like that. Right, but it's also when... Um, 6.3 is when it was an actual competitor to MS-DOS, so I figured that was probably the best version to try. Because sure. the other ones, it was yeah. like, okay, well, clearly it's not going to, you know, be an MS-DOS house, so we're just going to use it for our our own things here at IBM. Mm -hmm. So in 
version 6.3 is mostly like the MS the regular MS-DOS installer, but it gives you the options to include uh, Phoenix PCM CIA support, IBM antivirus DOS, IBM DOS shell, central point backup, and Superstore uh, slash DS compression. Holy cow, central point backup. Huh. Yeah. I used to use that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. It's just I used to use central point backup uh, when I... Uh, back in the 90s, I used to have a uh, Colorado backup tape drive, and uh, mine was a 128 megabyte tape drive. And so I would put in the tape drive, <laughs> sorry, tape drive, uh, <laughs> onto my onto my computer, and it would uh, I would launch CP backup or Central Point backup, and it would backup my entire drive onto these tapes. And I still remember the sound those tape drives make would make when I would backup. It was a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, thanks, Central Point Backup. Well, IBM PC-DOS included it. Great. And then after that, it gives you the normal DOS yellow bar. Um, so I think it came on... Let me see how many version, how, how many disks this this uh, came with. Let's see, Retro Alt-DOS. Uh, there it is. Five floppy disk. It came on five floppy disk, and it would say, you know, insert floppy disk two and floppy disk three until you were to the end of the install. Wow. So yeah, that's definitely more than MS DOS that I remember. I think yeah. MS DOS only came with two, three. Six dot two two had three floppy disks. Three. Okay. So when you install DOS shell, it's pre-set up to run DOS shell on login, and it already has mouse drivers going and. I'm not sure if it had a CD drive, CD-ROM driver already preset up, but it definitely had more done for you than MS-DOS normally would have because MS-DOS doesn't have a mouse driver pre-installed, doesn't have a CD-ROM driver pre-installed. You, you have to do all, all of it yourself, if I remember correctly. So they, they did make some effort to make it more user-friendly. Um, in DOS Shell, it has a pane in the lower left-hand corner called Main, main where it has some shortcuts to the um the programs they want to showcase uh, for example it has the IBM DOS e editor uh, central point um oh they had central point scheduler which is kind of like cron in linux and unix where you when running it's a memory resident program when it's running um mm. you can schedule commands to be ran at um uh, repeatedly at specific times a day or once a week or once a month. It also comes with uh, an undelete utility from Central Point and nice. a RAM boost utility. I don't know what Blackmagic it does, but I'm sure it does something. Ugh, if it's anything like the stacker that I used to have, uh, it's better not to use it. Hmm. I used to have a, a card. Actually, a, a, it's a hardware piece. It was a card looked huge. Um, it was probably as big as one of the new video cards are now, uh, and it, it occupied my entire case. It was made by Texas Instruments, and I believe it was called the Stacker. Uh, I don't remember, but anyway, it would free up. It would actually load these TSRs into that card's memory to so you so you you would have more you would have free memory in your DOS program. But anyway, I don't want to remember that thing because it caused more problems than it solved. So, yep. But please continue. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing that also loads on startup if you install IBM Antivirus is the first thing you see is IBM Antivirus. And it uh, comes up and says, 
comes up and says, this version needs to be updated to enhance your protection and please install the latest version of IBM antivirus and it proceeds to uh, scan your machine for viruses and then it loads you into DOS shell. So I played with the various um, add-on utilities that it comes with and I played with the e-editor and I like it. Uh, I think I like e-editor better than I like the regular MS-DOS edit utility and it lets you draw with the arrow keys, which was kind of neat. So all in all, I, I like PC-DOS, and I think I'm going to try it as a, a gaming rig. So I wonder with this antivirus, I mean, it's obviously going to be updated now, but how did it know that it needed to be updated? You know, I'm just wondering what kind of magic it did to, to know that it needed to be updated. Maybe it looked at the clock and it assumed that, well, if you haven't upgraded in 16 years, <laughs> it's probably about time you do. <laughs> probably. That's a good question. Okay. Um, yeah. I I do have one question about FreeDOS that I uh, should have asked a while ago. Yeah. Go ahead. Y- you're mentioning that FreeDOS is still a- actively maintained. Uh, so why would someone use FreeDOS? Well, I mean, besides the obvious legal implications of using MS-DOS, you know, you're not technically supposed to put it on there, although I don't think Microsoft would get pretty upset. I don't think they'd be upset if you installed 62 on your DOS rig, but anyway, so that that is that. Uh, there is that. Um, also, uh, if you're a proponent of open software, then uh, you'd want to use FreeDOS. There's a lot of uh, programs that run just as well on FreeDOS than it would on MS-DOS. So, you know, it's just uh, think of it as a better version of MS-DOS or or a, a newer version of MS-DOS that does most things that MS-DOS does. I don't want to say all of them because we did have those some of those issues with those games, but um, but for the most part, yeah, they they ran pretty well. So if if you want a DOS operating system that is up to par with and is is uh, it's compatible with most newer technologies, uh, most newer processors and uh, memory, and especially disk drives. Then you'd probably want to try. You'd probably want to use FreeDOS. And I guess that would also have a niche in the embedded market. Sure. Yeah. yeah well, it, it definitely helps that it's open source. So you know the price is good. The yeah. price is right. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How about uh, Doctor DOS? PC DOS sounds uh, really interesting. By the way, I I would like to see your your rig. You may convince me to finally delete mine and start over and install PC DOS. Well, I'm not gonna uh, delete mine at all. I'm gonna use my handy dandy uh, SD to IDE adapter and just put it on a different SD card. Oh my goodness! Which I don't have one of those. You will. <laughs> I, I, I've got one uh, sitting here waiting for you. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Yeah, I still run my DOS rig with good old hard drives with plates on them. Ugh. I like to hear the little clicky sound. Ugh. Ugh. If I don't, it's uh, it, it's, a, it's a nostalgia thing for me. <laughs> I, I need to hear it. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> cool. Well, tell us about Dr. DOS. Okay, so did you look at it at all? Uh, I looked at it briefly, but it was mostly a documentary uh, about uh, Gary Clydall. So <laughs> Killed all? Uh, killed all. Yes, sorry. Oh, um, speaking of names, uh, where was it? Um, remember when he mentioned Pat Falani? Yeah. If you Did I say his name right? If you move Hopefully the I, I in his name over two spaces, it's Pat mm-hmm. Villain. 
Ooh. Coincidence? Hmm. I think not. I don't know. Dun, dun, dun. So, sure. Digital Research DOS came from Digital Research, uh, which who was founded by Gary Kildall, who we have gushed... Clydall. At... <laughs> we have gushed at length about in previous episodes. Um, so we won't do that. Man here. crush. Anyways. <laughs> yes, man crush. So... It was digital digital research's competitor to MS DOS since uh, CPM was no longer viable, and they chose version numbers to reflect features relative to MS DOS. So we're going to start with uh, dear uh, with version three dot well just just three X. We're not going to go through the appointment releases. I'm just going to go through just the major releases and what they included. So, version 3 came out in May 28th, 1988. Uh, it had a few extra command line tools, verbose error messages, and um, similar to what you were talking about with FreeDOS, it included a sophisticated command line history. So it would keep track of your commands, you could press up to look at previous commands, and that was quite handy. And, um, Very neat. Back then, you only saw that on more advanced uh, uh, Unix machines. Well, that's it, great, and it's really handy. Mm -hmm. It also had support for file and directory passwords built right into the kernel. So you could do, you know, password locking, which is pretty cool. Version 5 started coming with... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's version 4? They skipped it. I forgot to write that down, but they skipped version 4 because they didn't did want... they pull a Microsoft... Did they did they do that instead of Windows nine? They went to Windows ten. Yeah, okay, I see. Well, MS DOS version four <laughs> was a very buggy release, and they didn't want it to be associated with MS DOS version four. Ah, okay, nice. So they, I like that trick. So they quite literally did pull a Microsoft because <laughs> Microsoft didn't could. pull a Microsoft when they should have, and so they pulled the Microsoft for them. <laughs> they were the original Microsoft. <laughs> So, uh, five came with... Gary Clydall at the helm. <laughs> so, five came with uh, quite a few more utilities. It included ViewMax, which was a Gem-based graphical file management shell. So, Gem was Digital Research's uh, graphical desktop environment. It had um, uh, windows that you could uh, that you could manipulate, menus, a mouse scroll bars that would resize to the contents of the window. It was uh, pretty good looking, simple, but fairly advanced. You could change color schemes, and it's pretty nice to look at and was pretty good for what compared to everything else at the time. It came with a battery max, the battery max power management system, which uh, detected idle behavior and switched processor power states accordingly. It came with uh, hmm. bundled with uh, some form of disk caching software. It had vastly improved memory management. Um, so for the memory management, it had uh, kernel instructions such as uh, disk buffers, or starting that one over, kernel instructions such as disk buffers could be located in high memory areas, or HMA, to free the base 640K. Um, its EMS memory manager allowed the OS to load DOS drivers into upper memory blocks to free up even more memory. But freeing up all this memory 
came at with an unexpected side effect. Some programs failed to run because they were expecting to be loaded into into a higher area of the memory. So when they were put into that impossibly low um, first 64K uh, segment, they just wouldn't run. So MemMax, one of its included utilities, got around this by pre-allocating a chunk of memory at the start of the memory map in order for programs to load above that barrier. So they did such a good job freeing up memory that they had to artificially consume yeah. it for programs to run. <laughs> I wonder if that negated the need for the freeing up so much memory. <laughs> it it was an optional thing, so mm-hmm. uh, so you could still get the benefit of it. Uh, version 6... Uh, prior to version 6, Microsoft included features similar to Dr. DOS 6. Um, and so Dr. DOS 6 was released in September 1991 to counter those. So those, so Microsoft was catching up, had some nicer features. And so in um, DR DOS version 6, they included Superstore on the fly, disk compression, file deletion tracking, and undelete functionality multitasking. So one thing that um, the original DR-DOS was built upon was concurrent DOS, and concurrent DOS was uh, had built-in multitasking, so that's what always set this, this DOS line apart, the ability to do some form of multitasking. So that got changed up a bit in, ver- in DR-DOS version 6, and it included a task switcher called TaskMax, um, and it had its own it also came with the industry standard task switching API to run multiple applications at the same time. But in old versions of DR-DOS, and I think concurrent DOS, correct me if I'm wrong, um, they had rudimentary preemptive multitasking uh, via um, multitask virtual DOS machines. In DR-DOS version 6, they changed that behavior, and instead it would freeze applications in the background until they were brought into the foreground again. Now, TaskMax had its own command line full-screen utility for switching programs back and forth uh, for controlling the multitasking, but you can also have it be controlled from the TaskView gem-based GUI instead. And it had options where you could tell it to control it, and so you can use TaskView to control your multitasking. So there were some issues with Microsoft later on for Digital Research DOS. In December 1991, a pre-release version of Windows 3.1 was designed to return a non-fatal error message if it detected a non-Microsoft version of DOS. This check was known as the AARD code, which I believe its name stems back to the name of the developer that wrote that feature, a feature in quotes. but Windows 3.1 ran perfectly on DR-DOS with that check disabled. So the AARD check was present but disabled in the release version of Windows 3.1, but Digital Research still patched version 6 to circumvent the AARD check in Windows 3.1 beta, and that patch was available within six weeks of the release of Windows 3.1. Didn't that allow... Uh, so, so didn't Microsoft create that in Windows 3.1 so that way you can only run MS-DOS on that uh, on on any system that had Windows 3.1 I think that's what it was it was some kind of malicious code 
that they would uh that they had some kind of malicious check actually that Windows three one would have to check to see if you yeah, had MS DOS installed. Yeah, <laughs> devious dicks. So after in uh, nineteen in July nineteen ninety one, Novell bought Digital Research. Um, so a lot happened after that. A ton happened after that, and we're not going to get into it now because it can be its its own podcast episode. Uh, the main focus was just DR DOS and its differences from MS DOS. So I'll briefly go over the tiniest amount of what happened after um, after the Novell a- acquisition. They were acquired July 1991. Uh, they released a very light resource. It, they released a very resource light version of uh, DRDOS 6.0 called PalmDOS, aimed at the emerging PalmTopedia market. Uh, in 1993, they renamed it to NovellDOS, and NovellDOS version 7 introduced even more advanced memory management and support for true preemptive multitasking of DOS applications. Then, Novell later sold the product line to a company called Caldera on July 23rd, 1996. Yeah, I would love to know more about this stuff. Definitely, I'd like to do another podcast on that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it it seems like it it really could be. Yeah, especially that DOS, Novell DOS 7 with the preemptive multitasking. Wow, that's that's almost unheard of in DOS. Let's do it. Let's definitely do it. Mm Mm-hmm. The meat of this discussion is in using it and in installing it and in seeing it. And the installation and use of Digital Research DOS is significantly different from MS-DOS or PC-DOS. They put a lot of thought into it. It is not, I guess you, you could say it is not made to be entirely user-friendly. It's made to be configurable. Um, it doesn't have the typical blue background. It's a black background digital research banner going across the top. And it lets you configure everything every step of the way. Um, so just to go over some of the options, it allows you, allows you to select um, a, a, a balance of memory usage. Uh, whether you favor memory or functionality, it lets you change the path settings, so if you intend to install executables in another uh, path later on, you don't have to do it after installation. You can do it right there in the installer and set up your own custom path. You can tell it where in memory to load system files. Uh, it lets you tweak disk caching settings. It gives you advanced EMM386 settings, lets you configure the buffers, and it even gives you the ability to customize your prompt to however you want it. So it um what uh, what version was this? This was five dot uh, that are that okay. I um tested in the screenshots. Version six was very similar. Uh just had see. even more options. It was just made to be configurable and tweakable, but it was still very easy. I mean you you could just go, okay, enter, 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 take all the defaults and it would it would still work. So I played with um uh, VMAX, the gem-based uh, GUI, it, it, it was nice. It was pretty. It looked good. Um, I especially liked the uh, the pixelated uh, bitmapped fonts that it used for folders. Um, all in all, I was really impressed with uh, D- Digital Research DOS. I was impressed with VMAX. I was impressed with the task manager. Um, I wasn't able to get the task manager to really run that well. I was I was doing it wrong, but I did get it to switch between two programs. The 
text editor, and ViewMax itself. PCDOS, FreeDOS, and Digital Resource DOS are all definitely worth a look if you're a DOS enthusiast and you haven't played with them. Um, I think my favorite, however, is Digital Resource DOS because, I mean, you know, Gary Kildall. Come on. Kildall. Clydall. And because of how configurable digital research DOS is, and I'm, I'd be curious to uh, see if I can I can game on on digital research DOS and what what challenges I have uh, using it. Yeah, I'm I'm also curious about that actually, um, especially on the memory utilization, since they seem to be very good at managing memory, even more so than the other DOS operating systems. Uh, I I would love to know if you were to r- run. I mean, is so there? I assume that there's options for EM, uh, EMS, and non-EMS and things like that. Uh, I don't know, but uh, but that that would be neat to know to see if uh, if you know. I, I would love that. Uh, never mind. I don't. I don't even know where I was going with this, Chris. All right. <laughs> I don't know either. I I didn't use it that much. Um, I mean, we did all of our testing in in VMs, like a couple of animals. Shame on us, but. Shame. Shame. Yeah. No, I hear you. And I definitely would like to try out uh, DRDOS. I do believe that's all I have. Uh, Do you have any further thoughts? I'd like to play around with some other versions of DOS, but I know that one of our podcasts coming up deals with Unix and uh, different versions of Unix during that time. So... I think I'm going to focus on that for a little while, and then I'm going to circle back to this. I'm really curious also about the later versions of DR-DOS anyway. So if we could, uh, uh, if we just had an episode on probably some history and some checking out of DR-DOS, uh, yeah, that, that would be great. I'm going to put that uh, down on our, on our things to do, things to talk about list. So that sounds fun. That would be fun. And uh I think I'm going to dive more into FreeDOS and play with some more of those those programs that um, that are available for it. I noticed another graphical desktop um, in that list that I want to try. Oh yeah, and I'd like to check out Aura. Okay, should um should I tell our fine audience how they can get in contact with us? Yes, please, sir. Go ahead. So if anyone would like to send us uh, feedback on this episode or uh, or corrections, or um, words of praise. We especially love those. So we can be contacted on our Facebook page at Fork Bomb Podcast on Facebook. Just do a search for Fork Bomb Podcast. You'll find us there. But uh, it's www.facebook.com slash Fork Bomb Podcast. We can be found on Twitter at Fork Bomb Podcast. And we can be emailed at um, forkbombpodcast at gmail.com. We actually do have a website that we've had this entire time, uh, forkbomb.podbean.com. So, yep, that's our good old home. Yep, but uh, no need to really go there. You'll get us on the uh, podcatchers. So do talk to us. We would love to talk to you. And thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you all. Thank you, Euro. Thanks, Chris. And good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you. It's been too long. Good night. Check out how I'm holding this. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like an orb.
<laughs> like one of those metal gods. <laughs> <laughs> Good shit. Oh man. 